Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 52 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Are Ticks Breaking the Amish? An interview with Mary Beth Lacey. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is Mary Beth Lacey. Mary Beth Lacey is from Meadville, Pennsylvania. She grew up in the Amish Mennonite community and attended private Christian schools. In elementary school, she remembers experiencing a week-long fever, followed by headaches, fatigue, and skin rashes. By the time she reached her senior year in high school, her health has slowly spiraled downward. Mary Beth received her Lyme disease diagnosis shortly after graduating from high school. Several members of her family and her community had Lyme disease. Her mother had recognized that Mary Beth's symptoms were similar to the others in their community that were previously diagnosed with Lyme disease. Since her diagnosis, Mary Beth has consistently had ups and downs throughout her Lyme disease journey. She goes through bouts of feeling well, and then her health crashes. Mary Beth left the Amish Mennonite community to attend college in California where she met her future husband. Unfortunately, she had to return home to Pennsylvania prior to graduating from college because she needed the support of her family to heal. She has tried various treatments to manage her tick diseases, ranging from antibiotics to keg and water to footpaths. Mary Beth has become known for sharing openly about her Lyme disease and how it has affected every aspect of her life, including her intimate relations with her husband and her inability to work. Hello, Mary Beth Lacey, and thank you for joining the show. Hi, so excited to talk about Lyme disease and get started. So Mary Beth, we'd like to start by asking you a little bit of questions about your background. Can you tell us where you live? Uh, currently, I am residing in Meadville, Pennsylvania. Is that where you grew up? It is. Um, I grew up in Gettysburg, but we moved here when I was eight, so a lot of my memories, are they're pretty much all here. And Mary Beth, where did you go to school? I grew up Amish Mennonite, so I didn't go to public school. I went to a very, very small town Christian school, and I did that. I was homeschooled first and second, and then went to the school third through 12th grade. And once you graduated school, were you able to work, or was your health bad at that point and had an impact on your ability to work? That's a complicated question. I was able to work for about the first three months after graduation, and then I ish went to college, but it took a little bit. It was, it was kind of complicated. I took uh, night classes actually during my senior year of high school and became an EMT. Then I was trying to find a paramedic class and wasn't able to that fall, but I did go to a community college. I wasn't taking a full load of credits. I only like physically went to school like two days a week for one class. And I did the rest online because of my health. And then the following semester, I tried to go to school, had to drop out because I, my brain was not functional. I could not do the amount of homework or really retain anything. Anyway, and then I was able to finish paramedic school about a year later. Because tick diseases are family diseases, I hope you don't mind me asking you to share a little bit about your family. Yeah, absolutely. So I was diagnosed and then unfortunately... Uh, I forget how many years later, but um, I'm the oldest of five, and uh, my brother um, has been diagnosed with Lyme disease and kind of has had a similar journey that I've had, and he just recently found out that his Lyme disease has, in fact, not gone away and is back. So it's been kind of a, a family thing. My sister, my littlest sister, who's eight, actually got bit this summer, so that was a little dramatic. Um, I have an aunt currently struggling with it. I have several cousins who have had Lyme disease and still have lingering symptoms. So I kind of joke about every third person in Pennsylvania having Lyme disease, because honestly, that's what it feels like in my circles. 
So you were really the definition of Lyme disease being a family disease. Unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. What is your relationship status? So I just got married. You said, welcome, Mary Beth Lacey. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's my last name. <laughs> so I just got married like a month and a half ago. And do you have any children? Uh, no, but we really, really want to have kids. However, we're going to we're waiting till my body's well enough to have them. What were your life's goals prior to getting sick? Great question. So when I didn't realize I was getting sick my senior year of high school, but obviously that was the time when I was dreaming and like looking at my life ahead of me. And so um, I did want to become a paramedic and I wanted to get into like global disaster relief. Um, I was thinking about, you know, becoming a flight medic, doing all this different stuff. And I knew that I wasn't sure where that was going to leave me. But I also then even a couple years later, just had these like really big dreams of being an entrepreneur and starting businesses and helping lots of people. And I feel like personality wise, I'm one of those people who wants to just change the world, wants to influence thousands and, you know, create jobs and do all these amazing things. And so it's been quite, I would say a grieving process to have like, I'm now 26. So I got sick when I was 17, 18, and I've had that many years of what feels like accomplishing none of the goals that I had. Obviously, I've been able to do things that matter in the last couple years, but, you know, it's just all been, it's all looked completely different. So you really saw yourself going out into the world and working and, and making a huge impact and change on the world while also getting married, having a family, having children, and living a prosperous life. Pretty much. <laughs> All that changed when at around 18 years old, you started to feel sick. Can you walk us through the first symptoms you began to experience? Yeah, my, my mom talks about, we believe that I actually got bit when I was 10. So, you know, throughout my elementary and just junior high years, she recalls a lot of headaches and, you know, just fatigue and some skin rashes. And I, I have vague memories of those too. But then it was really my senior year of high school I didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, I got diagnosed right after high school. So looking back at that last year, I had a lot of just my brain got slower. Studying wasn't as easy. Um, I was overextending myself in the sense of I had a lot of evening activities going on in addition to school because I was helping at my church a couple days a week. I was also going to EMT classes a couple days a week and just being in the whole emergency response environment. Wasn't the best for my adrenals, um, just because there's a lot of like high adrenaline stuff. So that probably also helped with with pushing my body into disease. Now, when you started experiencing these early symptoms, did you immediately seek the guidance of a doctor? We did. It was interesting because I didn't like boom suddenly have all these horrible symptoms and I was bedridden. It was kind of like. I remember my senior year of high school when I would exercise, my heart would skip beats. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. So we like went to a doctor and I like wore a heart monitor for a day and it came back fine. And then, you know, oh man, I'm just really tired. And, and so we like, you know, went and saw a kind of a small town doctor and they did, you know, blood work and checked my thyroid and, you know, did a lot of different tests and everything came back normal. And so we're like, okay this is weird. <laughs> While you were struggling trying to figure out what was wrong with your health, how did these symptoms affect your family life and your social life? Oh, man. 
you know, I, I'm like, you know what, it's really rough to have Lyme disease. But when I look at the people around me, I'm like, I feel like some days it's harder on them than it is me. My mom, I can't imagine having two children uh, with Lyme disease, but you know, it really affected her because at that point in my life, I wasn't an, a, really an adult yet. And especially as a someone who was becoming an adult, but was sick, I wasn't even functioning close to an adult, you know? So she was the one who was having to do all this research, first of all, figure out what I was even sick with. And then she was kind of the one who connected the dots. Um, we had a family friend who had Lyme disease for decades and was dying from it at that point. She has since then found a solution. But my mom was like, what if you have Lyme disease? She was actually the one who did the research and figured it out. And then once I was diagnosed, she was the one who was trying to figure out what diet to put me on and how to implement, you know, the doctor's orders. And so it was, it was a lot of stress. And I think too, another huge, like life-changing thing for a family with someone who's sick is the financial aspect of it. My family has spent tens of thousands of dollars trying to find solutions, you know, spending money on things that haven't worked or simply spending money on things that keep you alive. And then socially, you know, I was a social butterfly and I am so energized by people. So to get sick and see the four walls of a room every day was really hard. And, and I'm sure a lot of people um, who are listening to this have experienced this, but I had a lot of friends kind of drop off the radar. You know, if you're sick for two weeks, you're going to get all the sympathy in the world. People will probably show up at your door with food and flowers. <laughs> but once you've been sick longer than two weeks, people are kind of like, wait, you're still sick? Like, again, it's not that you're surrounded by people who are apathetic, but the human, just even emotions, it's difficult to relate to someone who is going through constant suffering. So I actually did have a couple friends who really pulled through for me. Um, and would show up. I remember one of my friends, uh, Melody, would show up. And uh, sometimes she'd simply read me a bedtime story and tuck me in, um, which was like the sweetest thing. And I felt so loved. But, you know, I couldn't show up to volleyball with the rest of my friends. I couldn't necessarily go out and eat McDonald's because that food killed me, you know. And so it was it was really tough. You really find out who your people are because you only have capacity for like not not even a handful of people most days. Meredith, how many siblings do you have? I have four. So there's five of you in total, and both you, your brother, and now potentially your sister are suffering from Lyme disease. Is that correct? That's correct. This is really becoming an epidemic where you live in Pennsylvania. Are there other people in your community, aside from your family, that you're aware of with this disease? Oh, man. I'm laughing, but not because it's funny. My sister, who is eight, I think it was last summer, Three of her friends in school got bit. Some of them, like, hospitalized. Honestly, unfortunately, Lyme is so underdiagnosed. I have a lot of suspicions of people that I know who I'm sure are sick. You know, my dad has friends who are asking him for help. We have, we have other friends who are asking for help. Not all of them live in Pennsylvania either. They are all over the United States. I have a friend right now who's actually trying V-venom therapy and is up to, like, 600 stings trying to cure her Lyme disease. I've had strangers like cry on my shoulder, you know, because they were just diagnosed. We had a woman, a church friend in our living room last month who has beat cancer and has since been diagnosed with Lyme disease and is just at a loss for where to go because the doctors can't help her. I get texts every day from people that I know who, who don't know what to do or where to go. Um, and a lot of them have had it for years. It's not necessarily all acute cases. 
And Mary Beth, you were able to get diagnosed in a rather short period of time. You got sick at 18 around the end of your, your high school career, and you got diagnosed before the end of that year. So it took you about three to four months to get a proper diagnosis, right? Yeah, luckily. That's not everyone's story. Throughout that three to four month period, can you just give us a little bit more detail about the symptoms you're experiencing? Yeah, again, it's difficult for me to remember. So I often have to go to my mom to ask what what I was like. But one of the things that, you know, more of the extreme things that she noticed was I almost did not have the energy to hold my head up because I was just, I had just had such extreme fatigue. I remember we have four steps going from our entryway you know, up to the house, and I could barely climb those. I would sleep, you know, 14, 14 to 18 hours a day. It was just bad. I had a lot of nausea, which some of that then came with antibiotic use, but my appetite was messed up. My sleep was messed up. I was super grouchy. I don't know how they lived with me. <laughs> it was like PMSing constantly is what it felt like. But, you know, memory was bad. I'm sure there's a lot of other things going on, but you know, we just don't remember. And I'd like to learn more about your actual diagnosis. So at this point, you were now out of high school and you were able to be working as an EMT. So you saw a doctor that you had worked with to see what was going on with your health. Yeah. So they didn't find anything. So we're like, okay, we'll try something else. Uh, went and saw a family doctor and they did a bunch of tests. Again, couldn't really find anything. So I was just kind of, I hadn't really been diagnosed with some mystery illness at that point, which is usually what they give you if they can't find anything. And then my mom made this connection. Hey, what if you have Lyme? So we did a Western blot with the Lyme specialist that our family friend had been seeing, who of course knew about Lyme, uh, which is really nice. And so uh, it was actually a six hour drive. So I did that every six weeks. Um, When I went down to see him for the first time, he had my blood work. He's like, you have Lyme. Um, you also have some co-infections. Bartonella was the one that we knew at the moment. And so we kind of worked from there. And your experience is not uncommon from others where the medical community couldn't properly diagnose you, but it was the help of a family member to actually get your proper diagnosis. And in this case, it was because of your relationship with somebody else who was suffering very badly with Lyme disease. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I really do feel lucky in that sense because I've heard so many people just have a crazy runaround with the medical world about it. Once you knew that you had Lyme disease, what was your treatment protocol moving forward with your doctor? He put me on heavy doses of antibiotics. I remember, you know, he had a list of antibiotics and we tried, you know, different combinations. Some, I remember the one time just standing in a parking lot going, I just want to scream. I feel so miserable. These antibiotics are not working for me. <laughs> so we called him and he changed it. I remember the, the best, the ones that I had the best results with were amoxicillin and doxycycline. But I remember like as a, as a young girl, I couldn't go out in the sun and get a tan like all my other girlfriends because you burn if you're on doxycycline in like 20 minutes. And he put me on some complementary herbs and different supplements. Um, I did go on a special diet. We started off with a gluten-free diet and then realized that you know, my body needed a lot more than just gluten-free. Like it was really the sugar in my diet that was feeding, you know, my disease. And then every six weeks I would drive down to see this doctor and he would give me a detox IV. And it also, there was a, a nutrients IV. It had a lot of vitamin C and other things like that in it. So that was every six weeks. And then we added a few other things to the protocol just to kind of help. Diet was one of them. 
but we did Calden's protocol, which is some herbal drops that help fight some things that are associated with Lyme disease. Um, we did some ionic foot baths, which helped take care of just the, the, the dying disease in my body as some of the other things worked on it and just did other things like massage and drinking pH water to create the environment that I needed for healing. So Mary Beth, you mentioned in your pre-interview question there that you specifically drink something called Kangen water, K-A-N-G-E-N water. And that water is a pH water I believe you just referred to. Can you walk our listeners through why that's beneficial to help you heal from Lyme disease? Yeah. From what I understand, your body does heal better in more of an alkaline environment because acidity is just the perfect breeding ground for disease. So people with Lyme, people with cancer... If you're drinking water that is more alkaline, you're going to have a better chance at healing. So most water is about 7.0 is about normal for pH scale. And then you can actually drink water that's 8.5, 9.0, or 9.5. And we have a machine that creates this water. You can also get it like at your local health food store or at a local gym. Some people have that option. The actual machines are pretty expensive, so it's not the, the best resource for people sometimes. But I've drank that pretty much for the last 10 years. Nope, I'm not that old. <laughs> um, about the last seven years. Anyway, and it's really helped. But again, it's not like I've been doing so many other things for my health. We can't necessarily scientifically track it that, oh, this has been a huge heavy hitter and getting me better. However, we feel like it's one of those things that has, has just helped the process along. When you first realized you had Lyme disease with this Lyme litter doctor you got from your friend, Did you think that this was going to be a quick fix or were you better informed because of your relationship with your family friend? You know what? I think the doctor did a pretty good job giving me a timeline. Most doctors I've seen have said, hey, it's going to take me at least six to 12 months to get you better. That's usually what I hear. And and his promise, so to speak, did kind of ring true. I did start feeling better in six to 12 months. However, it didn't finish the job. Like it put me quote into remission, uh, but it didn't actually take care of everything. So your plan to heal worked after the, the first year, but then there was, I guess I'd imagine there was some sort of relapse of the Lyme disease at a later point in your life. Yeah, unfortunately. And, and you know what, unfortunately with antibiotics, they're not the best solution. One of the things they do do is they can take care of Lyme active infections that are in your blood. But some of the things that they can do is actually drive that bacteria deeper into your tissues. It's like hiding from the antibiotics and it, you know, has different things that can kind of cloak itself in. So then the antibiotics run their course. And then if you do have a stressful event or some other trigger later on, the Lyme emerges from those organs and tissues and starts multiplying again and becomes an active infection. So that was kind of my story. So after being initially treated in 2011, you were able to go back and you actually took a a trip to Asia where you picked up a parasite and you came back and you needed to be treated for that. And then you had a traumatic event in your life, which caused this relapse. Can you describe that event and how your symptoms slowly crawled back into your life? Yeah. So in fall of 2014, last summer, I was walking through the decision of leaving the culture that I grew up in, which would have been the Mennonite culture. And just the dynamics of that situation, it is really difficult to make different choices than the community that you've always grown up with. And unfortunately, when you do make those choices, that community, you know, in order to preserve their culture, you, you have to remove yourself from the culture um, in certain ways. And, and, you know, they need some boundaries with you. So basically, 
I, I walked away and, you know, left everything that I knew, um, my friends, my family, my reputation, all those things are just suddenly gone. So it was really traumatic and an unfortunate, you know, just way that it happened. And so within about a month, I, we thought maybe it was depression because there was just a lot of trauma with the event. And so we thought, you know, maybe just depression, anxiety, the pressure that I was under, that was making me not feel good. So we just assumed it was, you know, that it was more mental problems and not like physically related and based problems. So, you know, I remember being on the couch, not able to get up, not being able to move, you know, no matter how much I like willed myself to do something, I just couldn't, I just didn't have it in me. I think the extreme fatigue, brain fog, you know, not, you couldn't think straight, those and my emotional ability to handle anything was really just non-existent. So we didn't really realize it was probably four or five months till we realized, oh my word, this has got to be Lyme. Cause I think I had been in bed for three or four months. <laughs> I joke about getting through like two or three seasons of criminal minds in like one week, <laughs> one or two weeks. Like it was that bad. I got out of bed to go to the bathroom to eat maybe sometimes it was brought to me and maybe shower once a week that was it because I was so sick and so by the time we got did we even retest I don't even remember if we retested for Lyme we just went back to my Lyme doctor because that was the worst that I'd ever been in my life as far as Lyme so it blew up and I had just you know my body was just overcome by disease at that point at that point, what made you have that change where you thought it was a mental health related depression issue to realizing it was a relapse of Lyme disease? You know what? Again, I think it was my mom. Well, one of the things that clued us in is I did go see a doctor saying, hey, I'm just really depressed. I can't get out of bed. And I was having some suicidal thoughts. It wasn't extremely serious, but it was still there. And so I went to a doctor and they prescribed an antidepressant and I took it and it just made no difference. And I think that was one of the things where we're like, oh, this might not be depression. Like this drug is doing nothing. <laughs> I think it helped just a little bit. But man, that's a great question. I'm trying to remember like what really clued us in. Again, it was my mom kind of putting pieces together. Like, wait, some of these symptoms are what you had before. Once you returned back to your Lyme litter doctor because your mother thought Lyme again, what did your Lyme litter doctor say? And what treatment did you then start up with again? Yeah, I again, I don't think we even tested. He was like, absolutely of Lyme, like it's so clear. So he put me back on a similar protocol that I had before. So antibiotics, IVs, diet, supplements. And we kind of went from there. So within, again, I'm, I'm kind of a crazy person. I'm always like overachiever. It's really hard for me to actually heal from Lyme disease because I'm constantly wanting to do big things. Resting is really difficult for me. So I got diagnosed in March, I believe, with Lyme again. And by June and July, like end of July, I was actually able to start working again a little bit. But I had been planning that fall to actually go to college in California, which, you know, is just about 3,000 miles away from home. So I was starting to feel a little better at the end of July. And then I drove across the country the first week in August. And I did pretty well that fall. Like I stopped taking antibiotics by probably September. So I'm like, oh my word, I finally kicked this thing. I'm so excited. Like I'm starting to dream again. And then. <laughs> Were you able to actually go to California for college? Did you ever make it to that point? I did. Oh yeah. I drove across the country. I like was out on my own for the first time. Um, Cause again, when you're sick and trying to be an adult 
doesn't really work no matter how bad you want it. So like I haven't held a full-time job since I was 18 and that was only for three months. No matter how hard you want to like be responsible for your life, like no matter, you, you just can't force yourself to hold a full-time job. Like it will kill you if you're sick. Like you just can't do it. So, you know, me moving out my own, my own, my mom was so worried, but I did, I got through a year of college. I was on my own, but again, like I wasn't able to work as much as I would have been able to if I would have been completely healthy. So unfortunately, that did get me into some debt, which kind of became a problem later on. But I was able to do a part-time job while I was in school. But I also like, sometimes when you're sick, you can really disassociate from your body. Part of that is just surviving the, tr- like just the, the swirling whirlpool of everything that's really hard to manage. And so I had really developed a lot of coping skills at that point because I'd been sick for a couple of years to really disassociate from my body and not really be in tune with it and really know what's going on. So part of my fall experience in 2015, I was doing great, seemed great, had a social life, like just overall looked like I was doing really well. If I would have really sat down and been like, how's my body feeling? Like, am I getting good night's sleep? Am I calm? Or am I constantly in this fight or flight? You know, I was kind of living in denial. Because unfortunately, when January rolled around, I started catching everything that came around. So I started getting sick all the time. I was like in a dance apprenticeship and I couldn't even dance the last half of my apprenticeship. I was constantly sitting on the sidelines because I was too sick. But we thought, oh, it's just colds and things like that. But what it was showing was just my immune system was really being worn down. And I was, I was launching a business that spring, you know, to launch in the summer. So I was like gearing up. I was putting in long hours. And I remember walking out of a business meeting and just sobbing, you know, when no one else could see me because I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm sick again. I know it. I've been living in denial. I just want to stay in denial. So I did for a couple more months. And then my business like super crashed. It was my birthday. And I was going to take the day off because I was putting in like 12, 14 hour days running this business. Took my birthday off. And I spent the first half of my day in bed. I was like, I can't get out of bed. Like now that I have no responsibilities that are motivating me to push through. Oh my goodness. I could barely get out of bed to go to the park and have a a birthday cake with my friends. And I'm like, I'm sick. I, I am sick. You got healthy enough though, at the point of your 2014, 2015 relapse with the treatment of your Lyme leader doctor, you were healthy enough to go to California, go to college, work part-time, and then even start up your own business. Were you able to graduate? No. So I was actually doing a a ministry school college out there, which is a three-year program. I was only able to complete the first year. I was way too sick, second and third year to even do it. However, I did graduate as a paramedic back in like 2013 before I went to Asia, but I did have to give up that career permanently because I could not be responsible for someone else's life with as much brain fog and as much fatigue. Like I couldn't even stay awake my whole shift. I'd have to go sleep in the bunk room. So like, I've had a lot of like wins, mostly losses when it comes to careers. You were starting up this business while you were in college and working part-time at another job? Yeah. Does that sound like a great idea? (laughs) What type of business were you creating while you were out in California? It was uh, primarily sales. Um, I was running a sales team, training staff, you know, hiring people, those kind of things. So you mentioned then on your birthday, you really took a rest. And then from that point, you sort of crashed. Once you realized and had that epiphany again, that I am sick with Lyme disease again, what did you do now that you were in California and you weren't home to go back to your Lyme litter doctor? 
Yeah, that was a little scary for me. Honestly, I went to, I believe it's ilads.org and typed in my zip code and asked for a physician referral near me. So I did that. And while I waited on those results, I was like, I have like a week to shut down this business before I'm completely bedridden and can't move. Because I, like, as soon as I got in tune with my body, I realized how drastic and serious it was. So in like less than a week, I had a friend who happened to be coming into town. I, I was actually um, living in my office space. I like ended my lease. I shut everything down. I found family friends who were willing to take me in for free because I was like, I'm going to have no income. And I was moved and like ready to be in bed for months, basically, with what I was preparing myself for. And unfortunately, that's what happened. Like within a week, I was just, boom, all made all those decisions, which again, was, were very wise. They should have been made a long time before that. But then by that time, I got an email back with several physicians. Again, they unfortunately were about three hours away from me, but who knew about Lyme disease. And through the advice of some friends, we picked the right one. She's incredible. I love her. And uh, she was actually able to offer me online or over the phone consulting, which was actually cheaper than driving to see her. She was under, she was a nurse practitioner, but worked with a doctor. And she's like, you know what, I can actually offer you not conventional medicine to help heal you, but I can actually offer you some other things that I've really seen work. We're not going to try antibiotics. And at that point, I knew that antibiotics had like destroyed my gut health. Obviously, they weren't working for me. And I was starting to read up on science of their real effectiveness. And so I was really willing to go to that place with her. Now that you, you found this remote naturopathic doctor, what types of different treatments did you use with this doctor compared to your Lyme litter doctor back home? So I would say the biggest things is we didn't use antibiotics. We used a lot of supplements um, that were really geared toward, you know, improving my immune system and Oh my word, there's so many things, just getting more mental clarity so I can think better. And um, I had a lot of muscle pain and things like that. And then we used herbs. Um, some of them are doozies and everyone's body responds differently. So it really was like a trial and error with dosages and some things like that. Because again, everyone's different. There's some really crazy herbs like Japanese knotwoods and cat's claw that would just, depending on the dosage, I'd get really, really sick. And have what's called a Herx reaction, which I'm sure you talk about all the time on the podcast, but it's, you know, when, when the Lyme bacteria is dying inside of you, it really makes a lot of noise when it dies. <laughs> and, and you can really feel super sick as that Lyme is dying. And so, you know, I did different herbal, herbal drop protocols. I did different supplements, went on a probably the strictest diet that I'd been on to up to that point. It was fairly close to a paleo diet, but Oh, I just, I got massages and I just started working on, you know, getting my lymph moving and, and started to get a more, a more holistic approach to getting better. Yeah. Looking back, Mary Beth, do you feel this was a more effective way to treat the Lyme disease than the, we'll call the Western method of using antibiotics? Without a doubt. I would never, ever recommend antibiotics to anyone. With acute infection, I still think like it's worth a try because sometimes it helps, but you know, I just had a mom of an eighth grader just talk to me the other day. She got bit this summer. They did antibiotics. She still has symptoms. And long-term, I don't believe antibiotics have ever been proven to be thorough. They help relieve symptoms, but I've never heard of them curing. Did you move back home at this point because you were so ill? Uh, great question. I really didn't want to. Like, my emotional health in California was amazing. Apart from all the 
the really tough things that were hard to deal with concerning Lyme. Like I really was, I had an amazing community, amazing friends. I had friends who, man, I wouldn't have been able to make it without them. I had, uh, what's interesting is at my wedding, <laughs> uh, people were joking about the fact that I moved all the time. Um, and the reality was I was in a, a very interesting financial situation because I just wasn't able to take care of myself. Like I wasn't, some days I wasn't even able to cook for myself. So I had periods of time where, you know, my, my parents helped me out a lot. When I worked, when I was able to work, I would. I did all sorts of interesting little things. Like when my business crashed, I did start my own online brokerage, product brokerage company, which I still have. And it's an incredible business, but it's kind of been on the back burner. Like I was able to like, you know, build it for three months. Then I kind of put it on the back burner and, you know, some people that I w was in business with have helped grow my business while I've been sick, you know, but it's just been totally an off and on thing. So my income from there was like super sketch, you know, you know, sometimes I get it, sometimes I wouldn't. Um, and then I, I started like, I would do a couple odd jobs. I do some babysitting here and there, but I'd only be able to work like maybe eight hours a week um, where I would just be destroyed spend days and weeks in bed if I'd push it too hard. And then I started a baking business with a friend and she would have to take, you know, sometimes I just have to give her all my responsibilities because I couldn't do it anymore. And then at one point I was like a private chef for some other people who were really sick because I was very familiarized with how to cook for people who, you know, have chronic illnesses and giving them the best foods to, you know, facilitate healing. So the financial situation was scary. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't really know a lot about finances when I went out on my own. So I, and my parents have great credit. So I got a really good credit card and I used that credit card during my first couple of years to buy myself food and to have a life out there. And unfortunately, when I wasn't able to work, there came a point where I couldn't pay those bills anymore. So unfortunately, my disease did lead to bankruptcy. You know, I've talked to a lot of people who have Lyme and a lot of them have similar stories. They lose their house, they lose their marriage, they lose everything because all their finances are going to trying to find help or they're unable to work to make money. And so it really is just a sad story for a lot of us. Now, once you tried all these things and you realized your health just really wasn't getting back to where you wanted it to be, did you ultimately end up back home in Pennsylvania? Yeah. So... I uh, don't know if anyone heard about all the forest fires going on in California, but Redding, which is where I was located, went through the car fire and then uh, the Paradise Fire, which was nearby enough for us to get smoke coverage from. I was horribly sick. I was actually on oxygen. My doctor was like, you need to get out of California. And then financially at that point, I'll probably say more about it later, but I had met someone we were basically engaged at that point. We were just kind of looking at our lives and um, realizing that the best for us financially and for my health is to move back to Pennsylvania, which was something I didn't want to do. Ultimately, I am very glad we made that decision. But last Thanksgiving, we actually moved back uh, here to Pennsylvania, which would be closer to my family, which again, I wasn't able to cook for myself most days. And my mom was like, hey, like, I have a lot going on. I'm running a couple businesses. I, I would hire you to like run the house and make our meals and do those kind of things if, if you'd be up for it and you can work at whatever pace you want. And that's been a huge lifesaver for me. You know, I wish more people had those opportunities, but unfortunately that's not everyone's story. So I, I really got blessed in that way. While you were still in California, I believe something really great came out of this horrible experience for you. And that's where, that's where you met your, your now husband. Can you walk us through how you met your husband today? 
Oh man, it's a great story, and I hope this gives hope to a lot of people. I was uh, I was living in a house with my friend. Again, she took me in. I was too sick. She's incredible. I love you, Amira. Anyway, I I never ever scheduled like coffee coffee meetings with people the same day that they asked me for them. I would schedule things like out because I just didn't have the energy to do something the day of because I was so sick. But someone messaged to me kind of a business mentor of mine. He's like, Hey, I'd love to see how you're doing. I know you've kind of been out of the game for a while and you've been really sick, but I'd love to meet. And there was a coffee shop right across from my house. And I was like, you know what? I'll agree to it. And I'm going to go. So by chance, I happened to walk over there. We were sitting at a booth and this young man, I see him through the window walk, you know, and I noticed him and he walks in and notices me stopped dead in his tracks. Um, anyway, and was kind of eavesdropping on our conversation as he was standing in line and then introduced himself. And so we started talking and then he leaves and my business mentor was like, wow, like, why didn't you get your number? Clearly there was some chemistry going on there. And I was like, whatever. But my heart was, you know, palpitating. Anyway, I see him coming back towards me, like very purposeful walk. And a uh, business vendor looks at me, he's like, so are you going to ask for a number now? And he just laughed. He's like, actually, yes. Like, I really would love to get your number. And we texted a day later. We went on another coffee date, super hit it off. He considered friend zoning me, but thankfully he decided not to go that direction. And we started dating. And I remember after we met the first day, I was walking back across the road to my house and I was like, he has no idea. He, I have Lyme disease. Like, I wonder if like he would even give me a chance because of this because I knew what you know what it would be like for some for people who are close to me and what would that that would be like for him and again you really find out the true character of people when when they're faced with someone who's suffering and we started dating and the first three months I actually did fairly well Um, we were able to go on dates and um, do lots of fun things you know while I was still you know I kind of spent my morning and afternoons in bed and then I would go out with him in the evenings And then I did start taking some cat's claw that really tore my body up um, and it was really sick. And, you know, we just, (laughs) we had a lot of couch dates, you know, a lot of movies. He has been so faithful and so kind and has really just suffered with me, which, you know, when he gets sick, I lose my mind because I don't know how to help him. I can't imagine what he's gone through taking care of me when there's nothing he could change. But it's just been this beautiful story. He has married me knowing that I might never get better. Thankfully, a month or two before we got married, I I got what I believe to be a life-saving treatment. So I am getting better. But, you know, when he proposed to me, he knew that he was going to commit to me whether or not I got better. And he's never known me better. So he does. It's been really fun till as I've been getting better for him to be like, oh, my word, I get little glimpses of your personality. But it's just been beautiful how this thing has happened to me because I was like, I'm never going to meet someone in this season of life. Like I could never have a relationship. And then it just kind of dropped into my lap and it's been a really healing thing in my life. Mary Beth, you're such an inspiration to so many of us out there that there is hope even when you're at your sickest to find somebody and be able to form a relationship and even get married when you're in the throes of your illness. Uh, Obviously, your now husband, I assume, decided to move with you back to Pennsylvania to bring you closer to your family as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's correct. I don't think I would have done it without him. For sure. And what I really, really want to focus on now is you went, you've been on this eight-year journey since 2011 to the present date where you've had about three or four major, major, major relapses of Lyme disease. You've had some decent times, some really bad times, 
And then now that you're back in Pennsylvania, you find this organization or entity in Spain and you start to go and go down this road of a new alternative treatment method to try to recover your health. I'd really like you to walk us through that journey in detail, please. Absolutely. I think it started with, you know, I really had my ear to the ground. Um, I had a lot of friends who were trying things that weren't working. There's a great book out there called Believe Me, written by Yolanda Hadid, who is a celebrity who has, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend on treatment options. She has Lyme disease and has tried a bunch of things. I was listening to that and hearing what worked and what didn't work. And um, I had the friend that I actually was a private chef for who was really sick was like, you know what, myself and a lot of friends have done this blood analysis, you really should get it done. Like it could really give you some, you know, answers or at least missing pieces to this puzzle that you're working on. So I did and and just started learning more about it. And what I found was, (laughs) it's a hard journey, but learning about, unfortunately, what American culture has done to healthcare and how You know, most treatments that are available here actually aren't the most effective that they could be because some things are illegalized by the FDA that actually can help you. And then there's some things that the FDA allows that are really harmful for you. So it's just been this really long journey of just sorting all that out. So this this blood analysis that I got done, this doctor had a lab build him a microscope and it magnifies your blood 67,000 times. So he can see everything. Just quick blurb, my health coach got her blood analyzed. And the doctor was like, hey, so looks like you went to the Amazon 14 years ago. And she's like, how do you know that? He's like, well, there's this parasite in your blood. And I can tell by its growth that it's this old. And this is the only place in the world you can find this parasite. And I can see it in your blood. Just crazy stuff. He can see, you know, markers for cancer coming five years down the road, because your body is showing signs that that is, you know, on you're on the path to that. So I got my blood analyzed, it came back, and everything that he had written there that he saw in my blood just completely validated what I was going through, what I was struggling with. It made so much sense. And I, you know, documented what those results were on my Instagram. And then, so he, you know, gave me this at-home protocol to start working on the things that I could, but he's like, I really recommend that you come to Spain to our clinic to really get a leg up on this thing. Um, your immune system's barely functioning. There's a couple other things that put me in the severe and life-threatening category of Lyme disease. Now, he treats anything. A lot of my friends who've gone there have had cancer and have had complete remission for years and years and years. I actually had a call with another woman who went to him when his clinic was first starting, and her Lyme disease, I feel like, was worse than mine. She could barely see, um, and just a couple other things, and she's been eight years in remission, so I had a lot of hope going into it, but it did take me a little bit to to get to Spain. So I had some time passed before I was able to go. And every four months, your blood actually, you're, you have new blood cells every four months, basically, or new blood. So I got my blood tested again, and I had improved 25% from the first time you had analyzed my blood. So the at-home protocol was working, but you know I, I wanted more than that. So I went to Spain, and the the treatments that I did there, I did some ozone therapy, and I did some hyperthermia. Those were two of the treatments. And with what people are sometimes like, well, why Spain? Why not get it in the United States? Well, unfortunately, for example, ozone therapy, you need at least six sessions for it actually to be an effective treatment. And I don't know what the FDA's limit is in the United States. I just know that it's less than six. And I actually got eight in Spain. So 
you know, so I couldn't have gotten that treatment in the United States and had it really be as effective as I had it in Spain. The same with hyperthermia. The FDA only lets hyperthermia take you to a certain degree, whereas in Spain, again, they had me very heavily monitored. It was very, very safe, but they got my body up to, I believe, 100.6 is the highest that I had it. Anyway, and so that treatment was really effective in being, you know, and just heating my cells up. They were able to release that junk that was in there. Um, just a lot of other good things that happened. Um, I did some ionic trans or transfer of ions through my nervous system to help heal it because I was in this constant fight or flight mode, um, which is not good for your body. It can't heal if it's in that mode very well. Um, and then I did some electromagnetic impulse therapy where I would put a like amp coil, so to speak, over my liver and my thymus and on um, my hands and my feet, my lower back, which were like I had constant burning 24-7 nerve pain in those areas. And that was brought down like to, you know, a level where I wasn't constantly thinking about it, which was amazing. And then we just did oxygenation and a couple other complementary treatments over there. So I did that for two weeks. At the end of the two weeks, we did another blood analysis and we had two previous ones to compare it to, the first one and then the one where I was 25% better. And we looked at that blood and he actually showed me, um, he put, you know, he had a TV on, on the, the wall that showed what the microscope was seeing. And he showed me my blood and he's like, you have newborn baby blood. Like there is nothing going on in this blood, except for one thing, which I'll talk about, but nothing going on in this blood. You have no active infections. You have no co-infections. You have no, like you went through every single thing that had been wrong with my blood before and it was all gone. My immune system was back a hundred percent. It was just crazy. And I think my heart needed to know that this huge, big, bad disease that I'd been fighting for years and years and years wasn't as big, big and bad as I thought it was. Like my body was really designed to heal and it healed in like in an insane measure in two weeks. Now the healing wasn't done. The blood was perfect, but now it has to go through my body and heal all the damage that Lyme has done. And that takes a process. And I'm about three and a half months into that now. Eight years ago, you had this epiphany of I have Lyme disease from a, a, a close family friend and a doctor they had used to get diagnosed with Lyme. And then you went through this eight year journey and you had all of these different plans to heal, but none of them really worked effectively. They'd give you temporary relief and then you'd have a flare up and a relapse. And you really had eight years of hell. You finally come up with this plan to go to Spain after realizing that there's some really strong potential there. And you now have this great accomplishment of your blood is cleaner than ever and you're feeling better than ever and you're seeing tangible, real results. So how did that feel after eight years of hell? You know what? To be perfectly honest, I'm still processing it <laughs> because like we are emotional beings and like disease and suffering is a level of misery that no one understands unless they've been there. And the amount, like there is, I describe, there's this huge pile of things in my mind that I can look at that I have not processed in years, like everything, that traumatic event, you know, friends who, who, who have kind of phased out because I've gotten sick, you know, broken relationships, all this stuff I can't process because I don't have emotional energy to because I'm too sick. So there's that giant pile. And then there's the pile of all the things that I feel like have been stolen from me by like disease has stolen from me, you know, like, I didn't have a normal dating life. I didn't have the career I wanted. I've had business ventures that have failed that would have totally succeeded if I wouldn't, if disease wouldn't have stolen them from me. I, I, you know, I have, I have worked through a lot of depression um, in this process 
because of the grief and the misery and the suffering that comes with this disease. But I feel like where I am now, again, I remember listening to podcasts and reading books and I'd hear about all these people who were on the other side of the, of the tunnel. You know, they weren't in the tunnel, they were in the light and I would just be mad at them because <laughs> I'm like, I don't even want to hear it. Like, I don't want to hear about your success story. I don't even want to hear about how you got better from Lyme because you know what? I've tried everything and nothing works and here I am and I am so sick. And, and so, you know, obviously I'm, I'm still recovering and I'm only like three and a half months out from this life-saving treatment. But like hope is the only thing you really have to hold on to when you're walking through this journey. Because if you lose hope, what else are you going to have? You know, because hope is really the thing that's going to keep you going. And I feel like I have had a tremendous level of hope since I've actually found something that works. And so people who are listening to this, who've tried everything, like, I want you to know, like, you can't give up because your only other option is to die. So you have to keep going, but know that there, there can be light at the end of the tunnel. There's no way that Lyme is, is the one thing in the world that we can't win. I think you hit on some key points here. I mean, throughout, throughout your journey, you were bed bound. And here you are on the other side, years later, after trying all of these things, and you're just, you're, you're going to provide hope to so many of our listeners, and you're such an inspiration. You did hit on one thing, though, Mary Beth, that I'd like to talk about is, you were 18 when you first started getting really sick. And here you are now, you're starting to feel a little bit better at 26 years old. But what was it like socially? That's a really great question. I think just socially, I'm pretty sure everyone who's been sick has experienced this, but like I would put things on my calendar knowing that I probably would, would have to cancel them. There were a lot of times in my life where I just didn't even schedule anything because I knew I had no capacity to get out and about. So again, I only had emotional energy for like the people I lived with and maybe my family, the majority of those times where I was really sick. Now, when I was, when I was doing a little better, you know, with Lyme, you have your good days, you have your good weeks sometimes. Uh, but again, they became few and far between. I was down to like, you know, maybe what I felt like were like three good days every six months uh, was what it felt like for me. Now I would go grocery shopping, but I'd have to ride the little cart <laughs> or I would show up at church, but I'd lead halfway through. So some people would see me. And of course I looked fine. I looked great. You couldn't tell that I was sick. You had to either know me to know that I was sick or, or see me on a really bad day, which I didn't really let anyone see me on a bad day. So everyone, you know, I looked great. I looked fine. So people couldn't understand, you know, I'm constantly canceling on them. It like really did a lot to my confidence. Like, am I who I, who I say I am? Because I know I'm a hard worker and I love work, but here I am and I feel lazy because I can't do anything or anyway. So as far as like dating went again, I just, I didn't have the energy to put myself out there or even like be in social settings where dating happened. So I did, I did have one relationship, but it was long distance. So, you know, as far as my energy, you know, I, I went and saw him a couple weekends that I had the energy to do that. So, but yeah, I was just, again, in bed, I wasn't going to social functions. So I didn't really have a great opportunity to meet people. Yeah. So it really just wasn't that great. <laughs> I just developed a couple close friends and then I kind of kept those friends and didn't really develop any new ones. And what impact did your health have on your relationship with your now husband? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think everyone cried when we bowed in sickness and in health to each other at our wedding. Cause that really, that, that phrase really carried a lot of weight for us. I'm like kind of tearing up now, but I think, I think some of the big grief points, uh, I know for him and for me, like, I'm not able to work out with him. I'm not, we're not 
if we want to do something spontaneous on the way home from wherever we were, like sometimes I don't have the energy to do that. And we both have such huge hearts for adventure that, you know, we've really had to work really hard to keep our hearts alive and not live in depression because a lot of those things aren't options most days. So it's been really incredible the last couple of months for me to be able to say yes, you know, to adventure and yes to going on things. But, you know, some days I'm still resting and recovering. So some days I have to say no, but that's been really, really hard for him because some of the things that he absolutely loves that he wants to love his life to be by his side in, I'm not able to. So that's going to the gym sometimes or most of the time it was going to the gym and things like that. And I think another thing that can be really, really difficult for people in relationship with someone who's in a chronic illness is the physical intimacy side. So my body does not function like a normal human body. So I mentioned before, like we want to have kids, but we have to wait because I can't grow another human right now. <laughs> like my body is, is just now starting to function for me. So I really have to get to that level where I can actually have a baby. Well, you know, a lot of people's sex lives are super impacted by disease. I have a really high testosterone, which isn't always normal for women with Lyme, but I know men and women alike, their libido like tanks. Uh, with Lyme disease. And for me, like I had so much joint pain, muscle pain, you name it, pain. Like I, I could barely, I had a lot of limited hand function because of my nerve pain. All of those things affect your physical intimacy. We would have days where we couldn't even hold hands because my hands hurt so bad, you know, and for him being on the other side of it, for him to touch me and for that to cause me pain was so emotionally painful for him because those kind of things are designed to create pleasure. You know, so it was so difficult for him. Like he's had to carry me places because I couldn't walk. I remember one time I was brushing my teeth and I just like kind of slumped over the sink and I'm like, babe, I can't walk back to bed. Like I'm too sick, you know, and he, he's, I think he can cook, but he likes to pretend he can't cook because he likes what I cook. But there's been times where he's just had to, had to kind of carry the load for both of us. So it's been quite a journey for both of us. But honestly, like love, love always wins. And another thing is people, especially who have been on lots of antibiotics, have a lot of infections in places you don't want to think about, which also affects your intimacy. And that's been a struggle for us as well. And what we've learned is like, you know, we could look at this as defeating and just letting it kill like our love life and all these things, or we can, we can work around it. We can work with it we can honestly like for him to process the the pain of it and still love me and love my body and um, encourage me and for me not to be so hard on myself and hating myself for not being able to perform or not being able to 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 do everything that I want to do um, or what my body's been designed to do to really just learn like connect in other ways like we've had an incredible month and a half of marriage you know we've had physical intimacy but we've also had really incredible emotional intimacy too and again love always wins so even when you're you know your husband like doesn't want to touch you because he knows it causes you pain like we have this adorable thing which is kind of like gag puke you guys are too cute kind of a thing but when I was crying because I was in so much pain and just laying in bed, he would wrap me up and I would like kind of cross my arms in front of my chest and he would hold me. And we were like, you know what, this is like, like piggies in a blanket. And then it kind of turned into him calling me piggy. 
Um, and it's just like, whenever he calls me Peggy, which sounds ridiculous, but it makes me feel so loved because in the moment of my worst pain and when I was crying because it was just so much misery to bear, he loved me. You just gave an excellent description about how your life is different now today, but for the better. You are in a truly happy relationship. You have true love and you found all this throughout your chronic illness. And I'd like to ask you next, how is your life different now today as far as your view towards the world? I see you've done a lot with your social media presence and even just helping others via telephone and text messages to help them with their chronic illness journeys. So what are you doing to help others and provide outreach into the chronic illness community? Yeah, I'm, I mean, after going through something like this, I remember a couple years ago, I was like, you know what? I have been through too much to just find the solution and walk away from other people who are suffering. It's like the suffering needs to stop. It has to stop. And there's so many things that actually can stop it. And a lot of it's lifestyle choices, which unfortunately, you know, illness is one of those things that will slap you upside the head and force you to make lifestyle changes. So I have just had this growing passion, like, oh my word, so much passion. I just want to go and like, you know, change the world, help people stop the suffering. And, you know, as I'm healing, I still have good days and bad days. So still, I would say the majority of the time, I don't want to talk to anyone. I'm just healing. But on the days that I do feel good, I am, you know, constantly either learning, listening to podcasts, reading articles, educating myself on everything from non-toxic living to diet, to, you know, studying about prevention, to understanding how the government and pharmaceutical world and all those things impact the health decisions and the choices were offered. And anyway, and so I feel like my life is, I know that whether it's health coaching or, you know, make building a business to produce and produce enough financial resources to start, you know, funding people to get more treatment or whatever it is. Like um, I'm just constantly brainstorming what are ways that people can come around other people who are sick whether it's with solutions or comfort or resources and get them into a place where they actually have their life back because having a disease is not living. Like it's just not anyway. And so I'm, I'm really excited to see the long-term results of, of Spain for me. I've seen hundreds of people who've had the results that I'm hoping that I'm going to get. But I remember telling people like I'm documenting my entire journey in Spain because if this works, Everyone needs to know about this. This is the answer everyone's looking for. But if it doesn't work, people need to know because I don't want them to spend their money on this. So yeah, I just really see myself. Um, obviously, I'm such an entrepreneur at heart. Business is going to be a huge part of my life as well as you know, loving my husband and raising a family. But I'm just so passionate about other people who are suffering. And really, again, I, I know you guys are huge into this, but prevention is key. And there's so many lifestyle choices you can make that can prevent all of the suffering from happening to you and your loved ones. So Mary Beth, we have one final question for you. And we'd like to start by just saying that the experts in the Lyme community and tick disease community are the people whose lives have been changed by their experience. A number of them have begun to use their special strength to protect and help other people and their families avoid the pain that's caused by a tick bite. Here at Tick Food Camp, we call these superheroes tick hackers. So based on your experience and knowing what you know now, what would you do if you received a phone call from someone you care about telling you they were bitten by a tick? Oh, I just got that call last week. <laughs> Great question. Um, you know what? I haven't done enough research myself to really throw short-term antibiotics out the window. Again, it's not the best for you, but it is a solution. 
But what I would tell, what I told the person that I just talked to last week was, you know what, because they had tried short-term antibiotics and they're still symptomatic. They just got bit. And I think the, there's a couple things. One is you need to boost your immune system. That is key. If your immune system is not online, you have like, you just don't have a chance. Lyme is kind of a super bug at this point. So you got to boost your immune system. Unfortunately, you've got to change your lifestyle. We are, you know, using cleaning products to clean our bathrooms that is weakening your immune system, which will only increase your likelihood of not being able to fight disease. The things that we're eating are making us sick. Sugar feeds Lyme, just like sugar feeds cancer. And, you know, things like stress, stress will kill you before anything will. So, you know, if you are working 60 hours a week and you're raising a family and you're doing all this stuff, um, you're not going to be able to keep your immune system up. You're not going to be able to fight this off. So those are just a couple things. I'm really trying to develop resources to help people know how to break some of those things down into practical steps because it can feel so overwhelming. It's not even right. Like I was learning some stuff yesterday and when I went to bed, I'm like, I'm so overwhelmed by this. I'm just turning my brain off, you know, and I've had eight years to develop this like mental muscle to be able to learn and handle lifestyle changes, you know? So as a veteran, so to speak, I still get overwhelmed by this stuff. So I can't imagine like facing it for the first time, you know, and feeling the weight of how big that is again. So Mary Beth, you are truly a tick hacker. And we'd like to ask you and all of our listeners to take a look at our tick bite blueprint we have on our website at tickbootcamp.com. It lists the steps to take if you're bitten by a tick to go through and have documentation of all the steps to take from beginning to end to optimize your chances and to prevent yourself from being sick like you were for so many years and like I was. So we have crowdsourced this outline by taking feedback from our previous podcast guests and ask you and all of our listeners to provide feedback on that outline so we can continue to improve it and help others in the community. I love that. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with Mary Beth Lacey. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Mary Beth and her tick disease journey, please visit her Instagram at Mrs. Mary Beth Lacey. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. We would appreciate it if you would contact us with any suggestions you have for improvements. Fourth, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates for our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our listeners, for your past comments. We would also appreciate it if you would take a minute to leave us an honest review of this podcast on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.